0: Give ear, O Shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth, before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine, that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 80, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, February the 7th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. I appreciate it. Uh, We're looking today at the uh, prophetic words of Isaiah in the 58th chapter of his uh, of the book with his name. The first 12 verses were also in Galatians still, uh, the 6th chapter, the verses 11 to 18, and then in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 30 to 41. So, uh, first... The, the, the Lord's bringing his complaint here against his people, and, and he's explaining to them in, in pretty good detail in this passage in Isaiah exactly what his complaint is, um, and it's a hypocrisy. It, would, it probably is the word that I would fit over the top of everything, that they're doing things without, uh, without heart. They're doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. And, and you can say that in so much of the church today, um, which has decided that the best thing it can do is to, to follow certain kinds of rules and do certain kinds of things in order to receive financial blessing. And it, it's, what are you seeking? You know, I think that's the, the bottom line in this, is that it's hypocrisy is what you're practicing. You're doing these things, but you're doing them for all the wrong reasons. So he says, cry aloud, <clears throat> do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. So this is the word of the prophet. The Lord's telling them, speak out. Be bold and be firm about this thing. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of God. They ask me of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. But what he's saying here is, is that that yeah, they want to know these things because they want to do these things so that they'll get something on the backside of this. Not because they believe these things are right, not believe the, because they believe these things are good, but because they're treating me like I'm some sort of um, talisman. That if you do these things, then he's obliged to do those things, and that's not the way it works. Simple performance of a duty, it, it, without wanting to do it to the glory of the Lord is not enough. You you do these things because you love him, and because you want and you believe in your heart that if I do these things, then, then it will go well with me, and I will be pleasing to the Lord. But that's not why they're doing it. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So yeah, you're fasting, but this is not the kind of fast I have any interest in. He says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for the person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And I think that one of the things that we've done in the liturgical church um, is, is that we have really watered down and dumbed down the idea of Lent. It was like, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to get rid of some of the bad habits in our lives, and so we give up this, that, or the other thing for 40 days. And, and that's what the Lord's saying is, why are you doing this? I mean, just so you want to lose some weight? Is that what's going on? You, you want to lose some weight? want to have a healthier life? Well, those things are good things, but they're not ultimate things. And so you're doing these things because if, if I give up these things, then that gives me more time, energy, or whatever to be with the Lord. And so if, if you're just taking these things out of your life, just because they're, they're good health practices, well, I, I, that's exactly the kind of fast that he's talking about, is, is that, that we are fasting for all the wrong reasons, he commanded a fast, but he didn't command a fast just to command a fast. It's to seek the Lord. So anything that hinders us from running the race, anything that hinders us from, from him, anything that can be eliminated in our lives to give more time for him, that, that makes sense. That's the kind of fast Lent should be. He said, it's not this, the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. So what he's saying is is that you're actually enslaving people. You're oppressing your workers. And so I, I worked for a time for Amazon, right? So after the George Floyd thing, Jeff Bezos sent out a memo to literally every single employee of Amazon. And what it said was, was that I I know that this is a trying time and a troubling time and a confusing time. And so what we want to do is we want everybody to cancel their meetings that they have scheduled for what I've forgotten what day it was, but it was some day for a three hour period. We want you to cancel all your meetings so that you can reflect on racism in America. Well, why he sent that? Every single employee at Amazon, I have no earthly idea because it didn't apply to the most lowest paid people in the organization. It only applied to those people who worked in corporate offices somewhere, the people who answer the phones, who do all the customer service and all that kind of stuff, the, the people whose children would have been most at risk. Over the long term, if, so the, for my black colleagues, the, those women, for instance, because most of the people I'm talking about were women, that they, their children, because they, they tended to be single moms, would have been the ones who were at risk from the police brutality thing that was being talked about. So they, those lowest paid members of the staff, were not given three hours to reflect on anything. They were to continue working. And so Jeff Bezos essentially proclaimed a fast, but not for the people who weren't paid well. Those people, well, they had to work. They didn't have the option of three hours of paid time to reflect. It was the most ridiculous thing in the world, except it wasn't because that was the kind of thing that happened again and again and again. It it only was lip service paid to something. And it only benefited those people who were already making a lot of money. <clears throat> so he says, is it not the fast that I choose to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Which is exactly what John's saying. You can't love, he says in First John, he says you can't love just in word. No, love is extending yourself on behalf of another. It might mean giving something up, but it's so that it benefits someone else. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, if you keep the fast that I choose, and your healing shall spring up speedily, your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I mean, who doesn't want those things, right? I mean, those are the things he says that your goal should be these things, it should be so that your light will break forth like the dawn your healing shall speed up bring up speedily your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the lord will be your rear guard in other words nobody will sneak up behind you because you will be, you will have the protection of god then you shall call and the lord will answer you shall cry and he will say here i am If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. Jesus said many of these same things. He said these things to the Pharisees. You tie up burdens on people that you're not willing to bear yourself. And then he'll say, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. (laughs) And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Just as Nehemiah and Ezra did because they were seeking the glory of the Lord. They were seeking to make him known. They were seeking to become like him that kingdom of priests, the holy nation that he desires for himself. And so that was the call that he was making through Isaiah, and it was very pointed and very clear about what they were doing. So yeah, you're calling a fast, but you're not fasting from the things you desire. You're, you're still engaged in commerce and the oppression of your workers. And, and Jesus would say the same kinds of things. And, and Jeremiah said the same kinds of things. That's the reason you don't keep the Sabbaths, because, well, you'd prefer— not to give up that income that you could have had then. Well, the reality is God meant that. And, and that's the reason he says you're going away for the next 70 years, because you haven't given the land its rest during that period of time. So we oppress the land, we oppress our people, and, and that's God's complaint. He says if you do this right, you'll enjoy all the covenant blessings. So it's not just a matter of performing an obligation or a duty. No, it's doing it with the right intention and the right heart. It's understanding at a deeper level what that commandment is actually getting at. And that's what Jesus does in the Beatitudes. Here in the gospel lesson today, Jesus leaves and he goes on through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know because he was teaching his disciples. Remember, they'd been at Caesarea Philippi. And then they'd had the transfiguration, and now here we are going through Galilee. And Jesus is teaching, again, the same thing. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they'll kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he'll rise. See, this next sentence is the most bizarre thing in the world. But they didn't understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Well, what in the world is difficult to understand about that. I mean, they would interpret a metaphor sometimes, like they did with the whole leaven of the Pharisees and Herod in yesterday's lesson. They'll interpret that—or not yesterday, but Saturday's lesson—they'll interpret that as somehow we forgot to bring bread. And here, he's speaking very plainly. Here's what's going to happen but they didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And these guys all believed in the resurrection. They didn't believe, however. From Scripture, they didn't believe in a dying, rising Messiah. And so they're confused because they don't understand this, even though it couldn't be any clearer, but they can't make it fit with what they already, quote, know. You know. And it's not the it goes back to the old Mark Twain thing about it's it's not the problem in what they know, but it's what they know that isn't so. And there's so much of that that we misread because we read with blinders on. We read with certain kinds of glasses. I've probably used this before, but in the book, The Wizard of Oz, it, when they go to the to the Oz, it, it's. Everything in the movie, everything is green in Oz, right? Except for the horse of a different color. But the, everything there is green. That's not the way it is in the book. In the book, everything is not green. People prefer it that way. So what Oz had done was create a whole bunch of green glasses slash goggles that had to be put on and locked with a key so that you saw green. And sometimes we need to take off the glasses with which we read Scripture in order that we can see the truth that the scriptures are actually communicating without our goggles on, that cause us to read things in, in different ways. And we're all guilty of it. Um, it th- there are things that we just miss because, well, we're, we're not looking for them. Or we don't even bother reading those passages because why would there be a genealogy there and why would that interest me? Well, actually, <laughs> there's a lot in those genealogies. There's a reason for those genealogies in the Old Testament and... New Testament. There's a lot we missed about the spiritual realities, what Michael Heiser calls the unseen realm. We miss that. We just overlook it. We blow right past it because we don't think in that way. We don't think in in, in terms of the unseen things. We don't think in spiritual ways. We don't think like God thinks. We don't see what God Sees we, we can be like Elisha's servant in Dothan, who only sees the armies that surround him, and then Elisha prays for him and says, open his eyes, and what does he see? Now, well, he sees the heavenly armies now, and he realizes it's not us who are surrounded, it's them. So, but, it, but sometimes we miss things that's very, that are very clear because we have our own little goggles on. And so they come to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Holy moly, what is wrong? I mean, y'all can't understand simple things that Jesus says, and you you want to know which one of y'all is the greatest, like being the tallest dwarf, right? So, And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And Jesus knows that they don't get it here either. He took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives me, not me, but him who sent me. And so it's the least of these kind of a thing. You know, it's not necessarily just a child, but the child would have been considered sort of the least important part of society at that point. So this is the way this works, but he knows they don't get it because at the uh last Supper, what does he do? Well, he strips to the waist and, and washes their feet so that they can see exactly what it looks like. He can't just give them words because they'll they'll reinterpret the words and make it some sort of a spiritual principle and Jesus says, no, it's a real principle it's it's real. You need to do these things." <clears throat> John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Jesus said, Hey, don't stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Now, this is the opposite of the seven sons of Sceva who who found out, oh, you get routed if you don't actually know Jesus, that, that, that just invoking his name is not enough. If you're not covered in his blood and given the power of his spirit, then you have no power to speak to those demons. But here he says, "No, don't don't do that. Because if you if you they actually do something in my name, they can't say bad things about me later. For the one who's not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. It's a powerful statement that that we need to be, um, I think, more aware of that that we yet yeah, there is opposition, but let's." Deal with the real opposition, not with not with those people who are who are not actively opposing us. You know, and that there are some people who will do things because they believe, you know, there's power in the name of Jesus, and those people get a reward for that. In the epistle today, he Paul decides he's going to write the end of this epistle himself with his own hand. He usually uses a scribe, an eminuinsence, who who he would dictate to, and then they would write what Paul told him to write. Um, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so they, they said, look, they just want to avoid um, the, the Jewish community coming after him and criticizing them. And that's the reason they want you to be circumcised. It takes all the pressure off of them. It doesn't mean anything other than, than you succeeded in converting somebody to something that's not going to save you. But for the sake of appearances and, and to avoid persecution, that's what they want, really. He said, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, it looks like I've made a convert, and if you're Jewish, then it's, you're, you're accepting it as a convert to Judaism. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, look, I'm not going to boast in any of this stuff. I'm going to just boast in Christ. And, you know, and that's the beauty of the song, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. It's, it's this, uh, no, here by the, in the cross of Christ I'll stand. You know, it's, it's, that's where I'm going to be. That's all that matters to me, Paul says. I'm not going to boast in you. I'm not going to boast in anything. I'm going to boast simply in the cross of Christ. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Is there a new human being here in this place? That's all that really matters. Have you been made new by the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God? And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And the question then becomes: Is he claiming that he had the stigmata, you know, the the marks in the flesh in his hands and his feet and his side that Jesus suffered on the cross, or is he just saying, "This is I've I've taken on that crucifixion. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." Is he speaking spiritually? Is he speaking physically? I have no earthly idea. Um, but he ends up with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, amen. Don't just do stuff because you see a commandment there. Do it because you love the one who gives the command and that you know that in doing his will, then you're bringing great pleasure to your Father in heaven.